Hello, I am Ariel Munafo. And I am Moshe Ferber. And this is the Silver Lining Podcast. The podcast about security engineering. Hello everyone, another episode of Silver Lining. And we are today recording from home again. Uh, how are you, Moshe? Perfect. How are you, Ariel? Very good, very good. Uh, I hope that uh, in Israel, at least, we are uh, backing back uh, to normal, uh, some kind of normal, the new normal. Uh, and uh, let's see how it's going with our guest. Uh, so please, Moshe. Okay. So uh, today we are going to talk about um, Kubernetes security and cloud-native security. And we have very distinguished guests with us. We have uh, basically the founders from A Policy, a new startup, and we have today with us uh, Eran Leib and Mar Goldberg. And we start with Eran. Eran, introduce Hi, yourself. Hi, Moshe. Hi, Ariel. Hi. Nice to meet you. Um, my name is Eran Leib. I'm the VP Product Management of A Policy, uh, previously uh, at Whitebox Security. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let more continue from here. Hi, everyone. Uh, this is Mark Goldberg, CEO and one of the founders of uh, a policy. Um, uh, prior to a policy, uh, we founded Whitebox Security uh, with a th- third founder that is actually missing from, from this call, Shlomo Wexler, which is also one of the founders uh, at a policy. Um, we all worked uh, at Whitebox Security uh, ever since we left the army, really, which uh, was from 2007 until 2015, where Whitebox Security was acquired by Cellpoint Technologies. And it's, it's not because you're young, it's just because you've been in the army for so, such a long time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, such a long time, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and before that, we, we all have been uh, in the army, in Omram, uh, between... Personally, I was there between 1997 to 2007, so 10 good, uh, long, but very joyful years. Yeah, so uh, uh, I, I met you guys uh, when we were doing some projects in Israel, but later you uh, launched a white hat, uh, white, so, sorry, white hat security, and which was later acquired by a sell point, which uh, congratulations for that. And you spent some couple of years there, and then you decided to move on. And tell us a little bit about how you decided to move on. I mean, uh, were you looking to start a new startup? How did you choose the Kubernetes thing? And tell us a little bit about the inception of uh, a policy. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we've all spent a few years uh, at Cellpoint uh, after the acquisition. Uh, and I think at some point uh, we felt like it's, it's time to move on. And we definitely didn't feel like we scratched that itch of, of building companies. I think uh, I, I definitely discovered that, uh, that uh, building new stuff is, is one of the things I enjoy most um, in, in my professional life. So we've decided to um, start a new company. And I think um, it was really started more about, we heard about containerized workloads and, and Kubernetes and, and lots of a uh, new excitement about this new set of technologies. And for us, it was more, initially at least, it was more about why is everyone so excited about Kubernetes and containerized workloads? Uh, we, we had really almost no idea what these things even mean. Uh, so we, we decided to, to learn. Um, and uh, of course, we, with the goal to, to figure out if there is something that we can bring from our experience and our uh, knowledge into this new brave world. Okay, 
So you started looking at stuff, and I remember the the research period that you were looking at stuff, and then you uh, chose your uh, path. So tell us a little bit about a policy and what you chose to solve. And from that, we dive in into the topic. Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, what we've learned uh, initially was that uh, I think unlike uh, earlier buzzwords, and there are tons of buzzwords in our industry, I've been in this industry for 20 plus years now, uh, there's always a buzzword. Uh, I think these are the most significant buzzwords I've seen in a while. Um, and we've learned pretty quickly that there are very good reasons for organizations to adopt cloud native technologies like container workloads, like Kubernetes, because software is a significant uh, competitive advantage today for organizations in all industries and of all sizes. And with cloud native technologies, you can ship software faster, you can scale easier, you can utilize your cloud resources better. So beyond the buzzwords, there are very good compelling reasons for organizations to adopt cloud native technologies. And I think this is what why we're seeing such a significant adoption of cloud native technologies. Uh, we've also learned that cloud native is not necessarily about transitioning to the cloud, right? It's more about building software differently. Uh, you can run it on, on you know, Google uh, Kubernetes engine, or you can run it on-prem with Red Hat OpenShift or VMware Tanzu. So there are tons of different ways to deploy your cloud native um, workloads, but it's really more about uh, building software di di differently. And, and I think what, what we've seen is that while software, the way we build software uh, dramatically changed in, in these last three to five years, the mindset of security did not. Uh, and this is what we decided to address uh, eventually, uh, how we can take security and compliance and bring that into the mindset and the way of uh, the, the way uh, organizations work within uh, or on cloud native projects. Yeah, a, a point that you said, Mao, that I, I really uh, think that uh, Kubernetes uh, or maybe cloud native, it was only, let's say, even before uh, one year, uh, enterprises were not looking too much into this uh, uh, this uh, world. And lately, we see the more and more enterprises try to to understand how to do it and uh, and to be more active in this world of uh, Kubernetes. And uh, I think that uh, now it's even more important for them uh, to to be secure when they do the the stuff. Exactly, and I'll even add that we are looking hard for organizations who are building new digital services and new workloads on a non-cloud native stack. And it's almost impossible to find. Uh, when you speak to organizations, uh, almost everything that is new is built on top of cloud native, uh, on the cloud native stack. And again, regardless of if they choose to, to run it on open source Kubernetes or run it on, on you know, GKE. Uh, in the end of the day, uh, everyone is eager to build new software because it brings lots of value to their business. And today, again, when they build new software, they, be, they, they build cloud native software. Okay, so we understand that cloud software has changed the way that, sorry, uh, that uh, cloud native changed the way that we do software development. We understand that we need to adopt new ways of security and we need to rethink our entire security posture. As in this podcast, we always want to think, uh, put things under uh, people, process, and technology. So let's dive into that. When we talk about a world that is cloud native, when we talk about companies who develop in cloud native over Kubernetes, what do you think, how do you should change the way that they, uh, the people factor? How do they, how they should adopt that? 
Yeah, I think it's a great point, and I think it's one of the um, most important part of why things actually change. Uh, when you look at cloud-native environments, uh, there are some key differences uh, relative to traditional environments that you know you and I um, are very familiar with uh, from five and ten and twenty years ago. First and foremost, uh, Kubernetes-based environments are significantly more dynamic. Than they used to be. Things change all the time. We we used to install uh, software, lock it in a data center, and really nothing really changed, uh, right? If we had like a really significant um, security patch to to install, maybe we did that if we we had the time and ways to do that. But other than that, uh, the application architecture, servers, VLANs, you know, whatever was there didn't really change and. Uh, with cloud native technologies and, and Kubernetes in particular, things change all the time. Uh, and not only did they change all the time, they change pretty quickly. Uh, again, if you look at the way security and IT teams used to work with software developers, it was more around, hey, dear IT and security teams, we're going to release new software or new version of our software uh, in October, and then we are in, in January. So you have tons of time to think about architecture and servers and security and whatnot. And it was a long process. We had, I remember sitting in, in committees, like in security committees for a project. How are we going to secure this project? What type of security software are we going to use? People had, and in particular, security and IT teams had tons of time to think, to prepare, to install. Um, and now with uh, this, you know, really new reality of velocity when software is not once or twice a year, it's once or twice a day, security and IT teams don't have the time to think basically uh, before they need to implement uh, these uh, security measures and, and security tools. Um, <clears throat> one of the most interesting things when you, you look at people and processes is the fact that 10 years ago, it was very clear what IT and security are responsible for and what software developers are responsible for. And I remember as a security uh, individual or as a security professional, I, I really wanted to, to tell software groups, this is where you're going to put your code. I'm going to be responsible for everything around it. We're going to install your servers. We're going to harden your servers. We're going to take care of network security. We're going to do everything for you. You don't need to worry about that. Just put your code here at the end of the day. Today, um, everything is defined as code. Infrastructure is defined as code. So when a software engineer is creating a new pull request on his Git repository, part of that change is new business functionality, but a huge part of this change is the definition of the infrastructure. Uh, how, uh, you know, can I access my local uh, network host? Can I uh, run my container in a privilege mode? All of these things suddenly define as code by the software engineer. Uh, and IT and security all of a sudden are out of the picture. They, they don't have, let's be honest, not the knowledge, at least not today, and not the tools to affect these processes. Uh, so there is... I think a significant change of roles and responsibility between the traditional IT and security and the traditional developers. Uh, we, we didn't care about developers back in the days and now it's really intertwined. Um, mm -hmm. Developer can change uh, firewall rules. I mean, who would have thought about that? The entire, uh, exactly. The infrastructure. Exactly. Everything is defined as code and code is defined by the developers and 
what we're seeing uh, uh, in large uh, and even smaller organizations is that they need to figure out how to work together, how in this new reality, we need to find a way to bridge um, between security, IT and developers. And while they need to bridge, they also experience significant friction. Uh, now there is this mistrust from security and IT. How do you define your infrastructure as code? And are you doing a good job? And uh, they, they want to, they're, they're starting to think how can they can go back and enforce their policies and requirements on these things. And uh, developers, of course, feels like it slows them down. And there is a, a lot of friction there that um, needs to be addressed. Okay, uh, I have to tell you, you did all of this without saying shifting uh, shift left for <laughs> which is surprising. Um, I, I see two approaches here. I mean, uh, in the last couple of years, people have been saying, okay, move more responsibility to the developer, give them more tools because there are more developers than security professionals, and they uh, and they should uh, they, they they know what they are doing, but you should give them responsibilities and trust them. But in the last uh, year or so, I see, okay, let's stop giving developers too much responsibilities. <laughs> they are not security people. They are not supposed to do this. Uh, give them maybe the right tools, but don't give them too much responsibilities. Where do you stand on this debate? What do you think? I think uh, yeah, I think you've, you've touched two very good issues. So, so shift left security. Um, I just want to, to say a couple of things about that. Shift left security comes from we're building security to protect our crown jewels, to protect our production environment. But now with cloud native and, and DevOps and, and GitOps, we understand that production is too late. And we need to, to think about how to get that back earlier into the pipeline. It really means we started in the wrong place, or at least uh, didn't think from the get-go that we don't need just to address the production environment, we need to address the entire pipeline. And this is why when you look at a policy website, uh, there is no shift left because we don't want, to want just to protect the production environment. We really want to protect the entire pipeline from source to production. And I'm sure Iran will get to how we're doing that uh, later on. So shift left, it's, it's oh boy, we, we started in the wrong place or started to write again and we need to shift left. We say, no, just look at your entire pipeline. Um, there is definitely, um, I heard someone uh, using the term, uh, the rise of the citizen developer. Um, we need to, you know, help the developer uh, take a broader role in, uh, in the way he views and understands and contributes to the broader IT environment and not just focus uh, on his code. And I think you're right to, to point that uh, developers don't know and don't understand necessarily all of the things that uh, they can now impact or should impact. So th I think there, there is a balance there. How do you um, help to um, evolve the, the citizen developer uh, and make him more aware and, and part, but also use tools and processes to guide uh, towards the right, right place. We hear a lot about guardrails, meaning you know you need to put some a, a way to to make sure that um, even if the developers is making uh, developers are making decisions, they're still making them within uh, a very clear guardrails that you don't want them to to you know uh, um, steer out of. Um, there is. I think we're just seeing the beginning of it uh, and it will take some time, but uh, it's a matter of balance. How do you uh, bring your developer in? Developers are, are smart, are capable. If, if you look at the way 
uh, and the type of technologies developers are using to build software that are much more complex and, uh, and much more uh, challenging than what they used to, to, to use you know, 20 years ago. So uh, developers are, are stepping up and we need to use that to provide them more tools, but maintain balance with IT and security. That's at least, you know, my opinion. Okay, so this is people, this is how we need to shift responsibilities. It's how we need to uh, get them to join us on the team, but still they, exactly. they have a specific role. Let's talk about process. I mean, where do we uh, take the process? Uh, how do we change the process to be more cloud native? So cloud native is a lot about automation, right? Uh, your your committing a new code, something happens, uh, a few minutes later, it's running on your production uh, Kubernetes cluster. And there are lots of technologies, lots of tools and knobs uh, that during that process, take your uh, software from its code repository to the production environment. And security needs to adapt to this process, okay? Uh, from a developer perspective, the process is very clear. I know that I'm using uh, uh, Git repositories or similar. I know that I'm using CI/CD tools. <clears throat> I know that I'm using GitOps to uh, bring my software more towards the world of immutable infrastructure. So developers have built over the last few years very good, very even brave processes to make sure that they can launch and ship software very, very quickly and in a very, in a high levels of quality, right? You you, you wanna make sure that you, you're shipping software that is tested and is not going to, to cause any uh, business functional issues. Security needs to understand this process and security needs to be part of this process. Um, the, the first thing is to understand the different parts of this process, what this process is built of. There are, again, source repositories, there are CI-CD tools, there are GitOps processes. How can security adjust and understand and align with these processes and help to enforce these guardrails across these processes? You don't want to be too late into the process and you don't want to find uh, um, uh, problems that in a point in time where for the developers, it would be too difficult to address or too hard to address. I even heard a customer telling us, don't start with the CI/CD. start with our ID where the developers are writing their code. If they're making a mistake, show them in their IDE that they're making a mistake. So you really want to understand the uh, software development process and how you can, we call it, fuse security and compliance into that uh, process. And to, to help facilitate that, you need to help with language. How can you bring the software and DevOps and developers team and security and compliance team to somehow speak the same language? Because you cannot integrate the processes if they're all speaking different languages. And I think this is one of the things that we tried really hard to address in our platform. How can you use a shared language that both security, compliance, and developers can understand? And this is something that we are uh, you doing uh, using uh, the open policy agent, using policy as code. So we are actually um, taking a step from the traditional security and the traditional way of thinking about policies and bringing back closer into the developers and DevOps world using policy as code. And now you can use that easily and clearly throughout that process of CICD, GitOps, or the entire cloud native pipeline, really. 
Okay. Uh, in our preparation session, we mentioned that, okay, there's a pipeline and there should be some stop gaps for the, uh, for the testing, for the security. Can you give us a word about it? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the pipeline in the end of the day is built from different technologies that are serving different purposes. You're uh, writing your code, you're building your code, you're deploying your code. And in each of these, or after each of these uh, uh, stations, quote unquote, um, you need to make sure that the, the, the end result is not violating your security and compliance requirement uh, or operational requirements, right? You have, uh, when we're speaking with organizations about policies, uh, there are different types of policies. You want to make sure that uh, you have your security policies in place. That's easy. That's an easy topic to think about. But from a developer perspective, he has a quota uh, policies, right? He wants to make sure that uh, workloads don't use more memory or more CPU than needed. So there are different types of policies. And you really want to make sure that your workloads and uh, business applications are complied with these policies across the pipe. So, um, as I mentioned earlier, you want to be part of the soft of the of the code authoring process. I checked in a new code. I checked in a new Terraform file. There are new uh, infrastructure definitions there. I want to make sure that when I check in into my Git, I know right there and then if I'm making a mistake. I don't want to wait until my software is already in production running uh, to, to find out that my uh, that the changes I've made to my Terraform file uh, violated security policies. So that's one place. You want to look uh, at the results of your uh, build processes uh, to make sure that your images are uh, not, uh, you're not bringing in images with, with vulnerabilities. Uh, when you think about Kubernetes, an easy uh, entry point would be an admission controller. Kubernetes has, has a way to assess every new workload before it's being admitted into your production clusters and make sure that you are uh, that these workloads meet your guardrails or meet your guidelines. And of course, last, last but not least, you need to assess your production environment. Uh, you need to make sure that uh, eventually, when, when something passed all the process and it's now running in your production environment, it's still complied with your policies because as security guys, we all know that um, there, there is uh, always a way to, you know, maneuver around all of these top gaps and, and bring something uh, into production. So uh, you need to check uh, throughout the pipeline. This is exactly what, what we're doing it, um, over at a policy is looking at all of these, uh, um, keep, at all of these point in time and then to make sure that uh, the workloads are uh, meeting uh, security and compliance policies. Okay, so this was uh, people, uh, she's more, uh, make sure that they understand responsibility, give them the right tools, uh, process, again, make sure that they're the right velocity because things are changing fast, make sure that you have the uh, stop gaps, the, the place to put your own policies, uh, give them to work, but give them some guardrails via the policy. Uh, technology, what are we going to change uh, over there in order to be more cloud native? So I think uh, the the way to look at the uh, technology is uh, by looking at what's missing, right? Uh, what do we have right now, and what's uh, and what's actually missing in the process? And uh, when we look at that, uh, the first thing that uh, that we thought is required, and that's why we went there, was the op was a policy engine, and that's why we chose the open policy engine, which is a de facto standard today in the cloud native world, um, and. This helps us to uh, create a shared policy model, 
which is very, very important uh, in our eyes because, you know, as people who came from the enterprise world managing large systems, uh, you don't want to be to start, you know, like managing different uh, uh, policies and different rules uh, for different stations, again, quote unquote, uh, in the process. Um, when when your uh, infrastructure is code, regardless of how it looks like, um, is uh, is moving through the different uh, um, different stages of the pipeline, and eventually gets into your production environment, um, it would shift in a way. Um, it would start, let's say, as a Helm chart. Then it would uh, go into uh, a pull request process, you know, to uh, to amend things into the Helm chart. It will go through the CI/CD process in each of those stations until it reaches the admission control and the production. It would shift and it would look a bit different. And if you think about those differences uh, in a normal uh, or in a, an old school uh, way, you would have to uh, create different rules to address each of those different stages. And uh, what we did is actually to have something that is looking at all these different uh, stages and allow you to have a shared policy model that you would just have a single rule to say, I don't want to have uh, a privileged container. I don't want uh, someone to have to run without a quota for a CPU. And all of that would be applied, detected and enforced across all these different stages. So that, that was the first uh, missing part that we identified uh, to have uh, policy as code and then to align it across all the different places. Can you elaborate uh, a little bit about the open policy engine? I mean, wh what is it? Is it a language? Is it a framework? Is it a, a software that you install? So it's a, it's a great question. Uh, the open policy agent or OPA uh, is uh, is a project. Uh, it's an open source project, uh, part of CNCF. Uh, graduated actually just recently um, from uh, CNCF, and it's uh, it's basically uh, two things. One, it's it's an engine that you can incorporate in various ways, either as a library or as a sidecar container or in, in any way that you want. And it's a language, uh, and the language here is uh, is actually very interesting. It's called Rigo, and it de it's declarative. It actually aligns very well with uh, systems like Kubernetes, which is a declarative infrastructure. Uh, the 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 basic idea of a declarative language is that you define what you want to be the uh, the state, and uh, the language kind of you know like make sure that you that you are aligned with that. So it's kind of changing the state of mind of uh, how you need to write code. Uh, it's not always that simple, but once you get into the uh, state of mind uh, of writing Rigo, um, it, it makes sense. <laughs> uh, it, it, it wasn't like that in the beginning. Um, so that, that's basically the open policy agent. It's, uh, it's an engine and the language to correspond to that language. Uh, and it's a general purpose policy engine. It wasn't built for anything specific, uh, but um, but the first big use case that it was used for, um, or I would say widely used, was around the admission controllers. But we're using it, um, uh, again, in all the different areas because our rules are defined, or we call them controls, are defined as uh, as uh, as a rule inside uh, as a rule in uh, in an open policy agent language, Rigo, uh, and we just use it across the whole the whole pipe. 
if we're talking about uh, controls, by the way, the way that we see a control is um, a way to detect and enforce, and that's the, you know, that's the regal part. But then we also have the remediation part. What's the playbook? How do I fix this problem? And I th we think that this is a crucial part of um, achieving that velocity that we're looking for, right? We want security to be as fast as the engineering. Um, and, you know, talking to the uh, to what Mauro was saying before uh, about uh, engineering and their, everything is intertwined, we, I actually think that uh, eventually um, also security will have to be, you know, like software engineers. Um, you'll, have, you'll have to get to that, uh, to that uh, uh, level and be able to write code like a software engineer and, uh, and be able to know what's the right way of doing it uh, from a security perspective. So the, the future security uh, professionals are going to have to have the uh, software engineering capabilities. Uh, it's kind of inevitable uh, the way that the world is moving to. Um, so going back to the playbook, the playbooks are something that helps us to remediate. Um, and the remediation here is also um, quite interesting because we're using a unified remediation uh, method. So regardless of where you're going to remediate it, um, sometimes even today, we're all talking about infrastructure as code. We're all talking about, you know, like shift left, whatever. There are organizations who run in production without infrastructure as code. They exist among us <laughs> and we need to address them as well. So we need to give them the, the ability to resolve those issues also in production. It's not necessarily the best way to do it, but it's a must, right? We need to give them the ability. Now, the other end of, the, of this is the uh, infrastructure as code. Um, and again, when we fix those and we when we apply those playbooks to remediate the situation, you're actually remediating uh, as left as possible. Uh, sometimes when you're talking about pipelines, people think about the CICD part, but the pipeline is actually more extended, right? It starts in the code and it ends in the running environment. Um, it's not just a CICD, even though that's that's the place where everyone is, you know, like doing that uh, infinity sign for the uh, for the CICD. The pipeline starts before, so we're fixing, we're applying those uh, playbooks into your um, into your source code. Um, we're using a standard uh, a standard way uh, using pull request, um, and again, we do that regardless if you're running Helm charts, if you're using customize, just plain YAMLs, Terraform, it doesn't really matter. The uh, their playbook would be applied uh, in the same way. And eventually, when you look at the, uh, um, uh, at the way that this, uh, that this creates, it, what it creates is, is basically a way for um, fusing us, like Moore said, into the, uh, um, uh, into the development pipeline. Because when we open a, a feature branch to fix this, uh, and create this pull request for the fix, uh, it would start merging through the uh, through the pipeline, running all the end-to-end -end checks and everything that you need, making sure that you're not breaking up the uh, the software, making sure that everything that you did is is fine. Because sometimes even if you decide to open the pull request, it might still break, right? So that's why we're starting from the left as possible and and you know merging up the uh, the pipeline until you uh, you reach production.
Moshe, uh, uh, just uh, I, I think at least that uh, this is a, a different kind of uh, view that we had in the last uh, episode. We, 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 we talk a lot about uh, shifting left and, uh, and Kubernetes security. Uh, I, I don't know. I think that it's, a, it's a, another view of the things that uh, we talk lately, maybe for, from your side. It's an interesting year because we keep talking about securing Kubernetes from the outside and these guys are talking about securing it from the inside. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting, the CNCF, uh, uh, the open policy agent, all of those stuff are really interesting. Um, yeah, I've, I actually have nothing to add on top of it. it was really- <laughs> uh, I, I need to read a little bit more about Kubernetes policies. Um, uh, and it's become really interesting. Anything else you want on top uh, on the top of this, or we just moved into summarizing stuff? I can add maybe specifically based on our you know past projects, Moshe, and the things we used to do. One of the things that, if you really look at the open policy agent, uh, and this is broader than uh, just Kubernetes policy or, or cloud native security, um, the open policy agent is an opportunity for our industry to standardize authorization, to standardize policy decision. And I think um, there is a broader discussion, uh, which, is, which is growing. And we actually see organizations like JP Morgan Chase, for instance, already doing that. Uh, how can you use externalized uh, engine to, to take policy decisions? Not necessarily how to secure Kubernetes, but if you look at a business application, uh, you know who is allowed to do what? Um, in our world, still many business applications are still solving that using their own proprietary ways, building their own way to make authorization decisions. And there is a broader opportunity in the longer term for new workloads and new business application to use uh, the open policy agent as, as a broader way to centralize policies for the organization. There have been so many attempts at that in the past. We all know about uh, Exacomel, for instance, and other ways, but I think there is a really good chance that it might happen uh, in the you know longer um, future with the open policy agent. And, and I think this is why we're seeing a lot of adoption uh, for that um, as well. So you, you almost I see think a full it's actually circle. mostly. I, I, so, sorry, I think it's actually mostly because um, uh, there's kind of you know like a, in in some cases a hard reset the environment you know people are rebuilding mm-hmm. things from scratch with the cloud native stack and it's and it's an interesting opportunity uh to use uh to to you know to uh, rethink all those paradigms you know that you don't have to do all the authorizations internally you don't have to uh think about policy as uh, as something that you need to develop you need to maybe standardize and then you could make interesting authorizations across different applications yeah. Um, without, mm-hmm. you know, I think for twenty years we've been talking about how to translate business knowledge or business decision into permissions or to, te- to technical language. Um, exactly. So it looks like you finally found your uh, your way into that, Iran. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can actually think of a couple of times that you and me uh, stood in front of a whiteboard uh, and tried to uh, think about how we can do that in several different projects, and it never f- came to fruition. But okay, so basically, the vision, as you see it, is that open policy agent will be on every application, 
and this will be the authorization engine for that. Uh, I mean, you can authorization is one thing, yeah, but you can do any decision on top of it. Exactly. I think I think I don't know if it will happen, but I think there is an opportunity here, and I think Iran is right to say that. Uh, people are kind of, you know, starting from scratch with these new cloud native applications. And there's a lot of re, I don't want to say refactoring, but just really rebuilding uh, new, new and old digital services. Uh, but also there is a growing mindset of what can we use that already exists and will save us time, right? Um, there, there is a significant uptick in open source um, usage. And people are looking for ways to, to get things faster uh, and avoid inventing uh, existing wheels. And this is why, oh, there is a way to do authorization. There is a way to, to make policy decisions. Let, let's use that, much like they're using a bunch of other stuff. And hopefully it will bring us to, to a point in, in time in the future where there is an opportunity to standardize these things. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Interesting opportunity. Uh, Ariel, you are a CS, uh, CNCF ambassador in Israel. Yeah. So maybe doing a hackathon around the open policy agent and like start developing like cool stuff, stuff that are really, you know, you can really do easily, but then you can uh, use it later on. It could be interesting uh, ideas to play yeah. with. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And maybe we've, we found the partners to do something like this. Definitely. This is exactly what I wanted to say. We have lots of knowledge around the open policy agent and our, uh, our folks in Israel, uh, Shlomi and, and, and the rest of the team uh, can definitely help uh, with this initiative. We'll be happy to. Okay, great. Okay, so let's try to summarize this. We started by talking the fact that we have a new cloud uh, native enterprise, cloud native uh, companies, and this is changing the way that uh, we do software development and it's changing the way that we do security. We started talking about the people, the fact that in engineers now have new capabilities, they can change firewall rules, they have a direct uh, access to the infrastructure. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, but we need to control this. We need to put this in the right perspective. We need to give them the right tools, but uh, make, them, make sure that they're responsible. But uh, also we are not giving them all the responsibilities. We give them more like a guardrails. Then we move into the process and we say that we are now developing faster, which is about automation, and we don't have time to stop and do security. We need some kind of stop gaps where we can do all the securities, and also we need something that is is still lining this, and this is the policy. This is the first time we started talking about policies. And then we start talking about technologies, and then we started talking about the fact that the cloud native enterprise looks differently. And uh, one thing that we can use to our advantages is the fact that People are building new environments, and when they're building new environments, there are new opportunities, and the open policy agent is one of those opportunities. It's a way to transform business decisions, business knowledge, business uh, know-how into technical language. And we talked about security, but this can be everything. Like This could be uh, uh, the quota to your, uh, lab, the, to your CPU or a... Uh, what kind of disk you need to get. And this can also be what kind of authorization mechanism you need. And this is basically the vision that this will be the, in, in this, in this, the, the entire pipeline will have these uh, policies that we write and we uh, adopt along the way. That's the idea. Anything else you want to add? No, thank you very much for having us. Thank you very much for uh, very being much. here. It's been very interesting, and we'll take it up to the next notch. Ariel, we'll find some kind of a hackathon around the open policies yeah. service, and we do something together with this. Yeah. 
Right, Ariel? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I am uh, into it. So really, thank you, Iran and, and Mar. It was really interesting. I I, I was thinking uh, all the all the podcasts trying to understand uh, how didn't uh, I look at this uh, uh, before. But yeah, it's good that uh, we have you for that. So really, thank you. And awesome. uh, thank you all our listeners and goodbye. Good night. Thank you. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you very much.